0: Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Y'all Y'all, y'all sound good. Y'all look good. Y'all smell good. Man, come on. My name's John. I'm one of the pastors here. At least that's what they tell me. And we are in the midst of a series called Open Heaven. Everybody say Open Heaven. We're going through the book of 1 Corinthians. Last week, Pastor Malik did an excellent job. How many of you enjoyed Pastor Malik's sermon last week? Did an excellent job as he unpacked and sort of Tossed out the premise that heaven is most open when Jesus is most exalted. If we're gonna boast, we make our boast in him. If you missed it last week, highly encourage you online, in the room, Guyana, check it out on our podcast or YouTube channel, search Greenhouse South Florida, wherever you consume your media and you will find it there. This week, I wanna unpack that idea a little bit more. Specifically, what would it mean to live where Jesus is exalted and what that could look like right here right now in your real life. So why don't you stand with me to your feet just to read and honor God's word one final time. It's like spiritual musical chairs. And while you're getting in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter two, I just have to say one thing and it's actually a number, 70, 70. That some of you are like, Whoa. it's that is how many points the Miami Dolphins scored last week. <laughs> Historic. We almost could have been like the top of history, but I guess it was a classy thing to do, not to kick a field goal when you're winning by 50 points. I guess. All I gotta say is, listen. If Tua can stay healthy and our O line can keep him upright, can you imagine? Can you please, God, have mercy on us? Have mercy on us. Okay, that's enough from the Dolphins fans. We're in First Corinthians chapter two. If you're ready, say, let's do this. All right, now remember, this is Paul, and he's writing to a church in Corinth. These are ordinary followers of Jesus like you and I. Matter of fact, they're very ordinary. They're kind of a mess in some ways, but they mean it. They're trying. They're really endeavoring to follow Jesus. And he says this. Paul says, and I, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, that's an all-encompassing term. Family is what that is. Did not come to you proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling, and I love this, and my speech and my message were not in plausible. Other versions say persuasive words of human wisdom but in a demonstration of the spirit and power. You ever find yourself in a conversation with a friend, with a family member, with a coworker, and you end up getting into a debate and you're trying to ninja Jedi your way into some sort of a proclamation of faith. He's like, I just gave up on that, Paul says. I didn't come with persuasive words of human wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit and of power. Check this. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Would you join me as we pray? Jesus, we need that today in our lives, in our world. Lord, do something in us where our faith does not rest on the wisdom of men, clever ideas. There's there's so much of that, it's ubiquitous, it's everywhere. Lord, we, we wanna live in light of your power in our ordinary lives, transformed to see our world changed. So please do that this morning, in Jesus' name. Everybody says, amen. Give your neighbor a high five as you find your seat. It's gonna be a good morning. There is a fascinating dynamic that seems to plague the human species. I'm not sure if you've ever experienced or encountered this yourself. Uh, We were meeting with with a friend uh, just this past week and he's been coming around, checking out Greenhouse and so got a chance to grab lunch and hear more of his story and so we were sitting down. Uh, He came from Haiti and so he was telling us of his story of coming from Haiti. My wife and I have gotten to be in Haiti several times and uh, eight, nine times. We love Haiti. Oh my goodness. So we're going back and forth. We're my Haitian, any Haitian brothers and sisters here. Beni Swali Tanel, Amen, Amen, Messi Jesse So we're we're talking about Haiti and the love of culture and the food. The people are like, oh my goodness. And so he's like, yeah. And so we're like, okay, and, and he came over around elementary school and he said, Man, it was so crazy. in Haiti, like I really I enjoyed school, I enjoyed learning, I liked all of it. And then I came to the United States and I was in elementary school, and, and school all of a sudden did not matter at all. Here was the only thing that mattered. Fitting in. He said, I remember. And it's so stupid looking back at it is what he said. It's so stupid looking back at it now because it's like, who really cares? And like every, right? everyone's trying to fit in. So it's a moving target. Like you're trying to fit in and guess what the next person's trying to do? They're trying to fit in. Guess what the next person's trying to do? They're trying, It's crazy. It's like, what are we doing? We're all like looking at one another who's looking at one another. And we're trying, He's like, it was so, and, and, all, and, I'm, and I, just, I had an accent and I'm like, oh my goodness. And all I cared about, I used to like school. I used to like learning. Now all I wanted to do was to fit Can you relate to that one? It'd be real. It'd be nice we could say, "Oh, I remember when I used to do that last week." (laughs) Right? It's this unique dynamic within our human condition. Like we are, we long to feel like we fit in. No one wants to be the outsider. No one wants to be ostracized. Everyone wants that acceptance. It's this fascinating dynamic. It plagues the human species, it spans continents, and it spans cultures. It's this insatiable, often irrational desire to fit in. We feel it in elementary school, we definitely feel it in middle school. It goes all the way through high school, and for being quite honest, maybe it dissipates in certain arenas or avenues, but we feel the pressure all the way throughout life. It's part of our human condition, isn't it? We wanna be accepted. And this church in Corinth is no exception to this rule. What we find this week in this church in Corinth, these followers of Jesus in Corinth, is that this is a church so desperately trying to fit in when they, and might I add we, have been called and commissioned to actually stand out. We see this throughout the scriptures. You are a peculiar people, Peter says. Some of you are like, how, they never even met my spouse. How do they know? You are a peculiar people. You are a royal priesthood, he says, a holy nation. This word holy, it means set apart, different. We have followers of Jesus, listen to me, Guyana, online, in the room. If you follow Jesus, you have been commissioned to stand out, not to fit in. But this church, let's be honest, like this church, feels that tension and temptation to work, to strive, to hold back, to, to go a little further than you know you should, to hold back a little more than you know you should, because we want to fit in. And as a result, they are in danger of losing the very power that they desperately need in their personal lives and to see the world changed in the way God has called us to. Paul gives two keys to unlocking power of open heaven in our lives and in our world. The first one is this, Jesus and him crucified. Everybody say Jesus and him crucified. If you're taking notes, jot this down. The first key, if we wanna see an open heaven reality of God's power on display in our lives, through our lives, is Jesus and him crucified. Let's jump back into the text. Paul says, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, and him crucified. Now, to understand what's happening with this church, it helps to understand what's happening in the culture. And in the Roman world, in the Greco-Roman world, public speakers were a form of entertainment. Much like we would go to the movies today, our kids go see the Paw Patrol movie, Liam was all excited. Much like you would go to the movie today, parents were like, oh gosh, if I have to hear about Chase one more time. So I just had to get that out they would they, they would have public speakers. That, that's what they would do. Like you were going to a football game, like you would be going to a basketball game. Public speakers were one of the premier forms of entertainment of the day. And the culture around would have been captivated by this thought of going to listen to something new going to find something new. Now, I would argue we have not changed much. That's what the internet is all about. You wanna wanna look and find, get the tweet out the first, you know, whoever can get it out fastest, but they were obsessed with finding out something new. And now the early church, these followers of Jesus in Corinth, in this cultural framework, in this cultural moment, because you remember culture is contagious, they are tempted. All of a sudden they realize, wait a second, we could be cool. We have something new. We have this new thought, we have this new idea. And so they're tempted to put this new thought, idea, truth, we would say, of who God is and who Jesus is, but they're tempted to fit it within the cultural framework and position it as just some new and novel thing and dress it up to look really, really cool. Because they know if it's just Jesus, the Messiah, if it's just Jesus and him crucified, well, we find out about it a couple of verses earlier. In chapter one, Paul unpacks it. Verse 22 in chapter one, it says, for Jews, Jewish people, they demand signs. And Greeks, uh, they seek wisdom. But we preach Jesus, the Messiah, crucified. Listen what he says. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Paul's like, listen, here's our message. Ready for it? Foolishness. Stumbling block. Who wants that? You're like, I don't want foolishness and stumbling block. I want like, ooh, wow. Man, that's... A- that was a powerful insight that you shared. Wow, that was a captivating thought. He said, this is what, if we preach Jesus and him crucified, it is a stumbling block to the Jewish people that would have lived within this cultural framework and foolishness to the nations. By the way, it's not just the early church that struggled with this. I would argue it's not just the modern church that struggled with this, this draw to fit in. Within the culture itself, I think Paul is preaching from experience. If you remember when we kicked off the series, we mentioned that this story of the founding of the church at Corinth is chronicled in the book of Acts. How many of you are familiar with the book of Acts? I've read it before. It might be great to go back through and maybe this week read Acts chapter 17 and Acts chapter 18 again. Go ahead and start. Give yourself a little homework for this week. It'll help put it all in context. But in Acts chapter chapter 18, we're told about the founding of this church in Corinth. In Acts chapter 17, this is what happens immediately preceding those actions. This is Paul's famous interaction at Mars Hill. If you remember this, Paul shows up and they've got all of these statues and all of these idols to all of these different gods and their pastime was to sit around, it says, and talk about any new ideas. Like they found this thoroughly engaging and, and exciting. And so Paul shows up and, and here's what he does. He's like, oh, he kind of studies the culture. He reads the culture. And oftentimes we preach this as like, man, we gotta be like Paul. He, he looks at everything and he goes and he says, oh, I've noticed that you have this statue to an unknown God. I can tell you who he is. And they're like, ooh, yeah, we're interested, tell him. And he gets in and he's like, and he's, he's quoting their, their, uh, their philosophers and, and oftentimes it's like, man, we gotta be like Paul. And there's a component to that. Here's the problem, he gets done with his whole spiel and it falls flat. Acts chapter 17, if you read through the book of Acts, it is one of his least effective ministry moments. In fact, the only time something works is when he gets away from the cool, flashy, clever, let me fit it within your framework. He's just like, okay, fine. Jesus was crucified and he died in the flesh and he rose from the dead. And then half the crowd in war is like, this is stupid, peace out. But a few people, their hearts were touched and they become followers of Jesus. Why does that matter? Because right after that experience in Acts 17, Paul comes here to Corinth in Acts 18. And what does he say? When I came to you, Now, when I came to them, but when I came to you, I didn't come with persuasive words of human wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit and power that your faith wouldn't rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He says, when I came to you, I came and I was like, listen, here's all I got, Jesus and him crucified, take it or leave it. That's foolishness, I know, but it's true. And it's life changing if you have ears to hear it, something fascinating happened within Paul's praxis. Now, obviously, there's other components of Scripture that say, be all things to all men. You wanna be wise. He who wins souls is wise. Like, there's wisdom, and there's contextualization, and don't be an idiot, and amen, all of those things. But there's something in which, if we try to be so cool and clever, we end up self-sabotaging, because the message is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who have ears to hear, it's... It's life from the dead is what he says. Right after he went to Corinth in Acts chapter 17, he comes, or right after he went to Mars Hill, he goes to Corinth in Acts 18. He's like, all right, that's it. New approach, not persuasive words of human wisdom, not let me fit it in to the cultural framework. He's like, bump that. Here it is, Jesus and him crucified. That's what I got. You said, John, what's the point? That's interesting. What's the point? Here's the point. We as humanity have not evolved very much. And whenever we come to Mars Hill, the temptation to be cool and fit in is a struggle for all of us, myself included. Whenever we come to a cultural framework where we we realize, man, if I just watered it down a little bit, if I just tweaked it a little bit, if I just held back a little bit, I could totally make this work. And the problem is that you can build a brand like that You can build a platform like that. You can build a following like that. You cannot build a person like that. And our call is to help people, ordinary people, become passionate followers of Jesus. Our call is not that people walk away from interactions with you and they're like, oh my goodness, oh, Kyle, what a great speaker. They walk away and say, what a great savior. And we feel that tension, don't we? I do. Man, I'd kind of like them to think I'm really cool. And also, yeah, Jesus would be awesome too. That would be a benefit. And Paul says, listen, when I came, it's just Christ and him crucified. I'm not saying don't do the all things to all men because that's biblical. Obviously, we're supposed to be wise in the way we walk towards outsiders. That's a Bible verse, but I'm saying we put all our eggs in the basket of not our clever articulation or our cool ability or our knowledge of pop culture and able to contend. We put all our eggs in the basket of Jesus, his power, his work, his goodness, his grace, his glory, it's him. It's, it's the Jesus crucified in the power of the spirit. Are you guys tracking with what I'm saying? Do you see that tension? Do you feel that? Like you get into a conversation, you're like, oh man. And Paul says, I gave up Jesus and him crucified. I'll break it down. I'll explain it. I'll contextualize it, of course. But at the end of the day, here's my confidence. It's not in my clever articulation of human wisdom and persuasive words. It's God's power, God's spirit, God's message, God's work. Only Jesus, the Christ, and him crucified. The problem that we find ourselves in is often, and I'll say I, and maybe you find yourself in this dynamic, I often feel the tension where I would rather be cool and approved than have power. Because the power comes from Jesus. It's Christ and him crucified. It's the Holy Spirit and and you and I, we have to decide. Like we, we, we've had conversations in our faith community, Guyana online, we're like, man, we wanna see like revival, a marked sweeping move of God in our modern day. God, we wanna see, we're not just doing some Ted talk and some sing along karaoke with the Jesus label slapped on it. Like we want kingdom of God. We want power of God. We wanna see on earth as it is in heaven, right? Anybody else besides me, you're like, yes, that's what we want, which means we must decide Do we, do you want approval of earth or power from heaven? Because you have to pick a path and often going after one means it's at the exclusion of the other. Do you want the approval of earth or the power of heaven? It's so tempting to try to fit into Corinth. Listen to me. But you do not change a world by looking just like it. Paul said, when I came to you, it wasn't persuasive words. It was Jesus and him crucified. I I get tempted. I know I'm a preacher and I'm up here with you and I'm a human and live real life. Like I, I get tempted in moments, in crucial moments to go light on Jesus and him crucified. Do you? I get tempted to go light on the Holy Spirit. But if we do that, you miss out on hope in heaven and the power of God. Now, let me be clear, because this is an important component to the conversation. Often, when there is a strong focus on the message, what we, what we end up saying is, man, you just got to kind of preach the gospel, and if necessary, like, you know, use words and do the work, and by the way, that's a, not actually even a quote that he said, um, it's Both are important, right? Often it's tempting to just say, oh yeah, well, man, you know, they live like hellions, but at least they preach the gospel. It's like, no, what we see here in the early church is that with a focus on the message, Jesus and him crucified, it does not mean that we opt out from the works that Jesus has called us to when it comes to justice and mercy, seeing his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The early church, what we see here, and we see it over and over throughout the book of Acts, they're like, man, these people that turned the world upside down. The early followers of Jesus, they did justice works and they preached the gospel. They rescued babies from garbage heaps who were basically being discarded of. And they cared for widows and orphans. And they provided for the poor and the needy. Like they lived it. The heart of God as expressed in scripture, they saw it as their mandate as followers of Jesus to not just preach the right things, but to live those things out. Why is this important? Because if it's just talk, even if you have the right words, your words and power become meaningless to a watching world who is nauseated between the disconnect of what you say and what you do. And on the flip side, if it's just works, if you're like, man, bump all the, talk is cheap. I'm just gonna do it. And you're just out there like an activist doing the works. If it's just works, listen to me. What the Bible says is your works are impotent alone to accomplish the eternal change that this world ultimately and foundationally needs. We need both. It's care for the poor, it's doing justice, it's loving mercy, it's rescuing babies being sacrificed to the slaughter, and it is doing it in Jesus' name for his honor, Christ and him crucified. Are we tracking? Paul says, listen, a first, of, of, of the utmost importance is this, I came preaching Jesus and him crucified, his work, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ability to save and rescue to the utmost. And then he lays out one more key, one more essential key component to living this open heaven reality, and is this, the power of his spirit. Everybody say, poder, poder del Espíritu Santo, the power of the Holy Spirit. I spit when I speak in Spanish, that's dangerous. It's dangerous to be in the front row, it's like the splash zone. If Paul's first priority is the gospel, His second priority throughout the trajectory of the epistles and the letters he writes to the churches and what we see of Paul's life, if his first priority is the gospel, he has a very clear follow-up second priority, and that's this, the work of the Spirit. Look at what he says here in 1 Corinthians 2. Verse three, he says, and I was with you. This is fascinating. This is the apostle Paul, like buddy who penned about two thirds of the New Testament, church planter extraordinaire, apostle and spiritual evangelist to the nations. Listen to how he describes himself. And I was with you in weakness and in fear. And much trembling. By the way, I'm not gonna, we could, this could preach for a while, but if you feel like an ordinary person, you're like, man, Pastor John, I know, I know I should share. I know I should do, but I just get so nervous. I, I feel like I'm so often weak and fearful and trembling. Well, then you find yourself in great company. What if weakness and fear and trembling does not disqualify you like we're tempted to think? What if it actually qualifies you? for the power of God to be made manifest in your life. Chew on that one, mic drop. He says, I came to you in weakness, in fear, in much trembling. And my speech and my message, verse four, were not in persuasive, plausible words of human wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but what? In the power of God. Here's the second problem. If the first problem is the temptation to fit in, to water down, to kind of massage the message into a culturally acceptable and palatable framework, if that's the first challenge, the second challenge is to lean on our own wisdom and understanding. Small little section, he uses this word wisdom three times. It comes from the Greek word sophos. This temptation to be wise, to be seen as wise, articulate, woke, elevated, strong, culturally engaged, and knowledgeable. He uses this, this temptation to be wise in the eyes of the world we live in. Now, obviously, when we, to, when we look at the Bible, there was a group and they said, man, they were so great because they understood the times. There is a moment to understand the times, but we don't lean on our own Shaka. We don't lean on our own understanding. Why? Because God has chosen, he tells us here, he has chosen to wrap his power in packages that very often look unassuming and even foolish to the culture around. So that at the end of it all, they're not like, wow, what an incredible, they're like, how did that even happen? God, God, he uses the foolishness of this world to confound the wise. Anybody familiar with Carlos Anacondia? Okay, my mom, awesome mom, a few of us here. Carlos Anacondia, and this is kind of the point, was a hardware store owner, owned a hardware store in Argentina. Someone shared the message of Jesus and him crucified with this hardware store owner, Carlos Anacondia, and he has been subsequently used by God to spark one of the largest revivals in South and Central America that the world has ever seen. Hardware salesman. Someone shared with him about Jesus, got a Bible in his hands, he starts reading, Holy Spirit works on his heart, he gets transformed. He starts walking around his community, seeing people stuck, trapped, drugs, addiction, all of the things we experience all the time in our ordinary lives, and he got so burdened, he said, I j- God, we need to see. He starts reading the book of Acts, he's like, man, God has power, we need to see the power. So he starts praying and fasting. He gets invited to preach one day. He goes and he preaches. He was not a particularly great preacher, and he still is. He's decent, decent preacher. Probably better than me, but decent. He gets up and preaches. It's not eloquent. It's not flashy. It's not crazy. God's power shows up. Carlos Anacondia would regularly have meetings, and he just gets up, and he just preaches a basic message, Jesus, him crucified, God loves you, and he would stand up there, and then he would just stand up there, but he spent all this time with Jesus, prayer, fasting, he just believes, and he just stands up, and he would, he's been known, he would just stand up and say, in Jesus' name, flee, and within miles around wherever the meeting is happening, people just start manifesting demons, falling out, like, giving, repenting, falling to their knees and weeping and repentance. Like police have to be called for miles on end because they're like, we know the whole city is gonna go into chaos. What it is is heaven is breaking out. This ordinary hardware salesman. Listen to one of his sermons this week. You'd be like, huh? It's not persuasive words of human wisdom. It's a demonstration of the spirit and power. You get to choose your legacy. I, get to, I have to choose my legacy. I am praying it would be this, that people's faith wouldn't rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We live in an age where we have utmost confidence in the wisdom of men. I'll, I'll tell you how that looks in our modern age. We've got TikTok financial advisor gurus, and we've got YouTube fitness influencers, and we live in an age, in a cultural framework, we are enamored with the wisdom of men. Liking learning, like I like learning. I'm a student, I love to learn new things. You can take a good thing and take it beyond what it was meant to be. By the way, that's called an idol. We have that in this arena, I would argue, in our cultural framework. And, it's, and there's great stuff out there. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, there's, there's awesome financial thoughts and financial advice. And there's incredible, like, fitness, you know, diet and exercise. You can do the intermittent fat. Like, there's so many great things out there. But if your body, if your physical body is thriving while your soul is dying, no se sirve. Like, that's, that's a problem. Like, that, that doesn't work. That's, that's not going to work out for you, Will because you don't just need the wisdom of men. Get some wisdom, man, in all you're your getting, get understanding, like go learn, read a book, get, look out, check out a podcast, listen, get some wisdom, but at the end of the day, your faith cannot rest, and it will not rest, and it will not remain in the wisdom of men alone. You need, you need the power of God. He said that your faith would not rest, verse four, I didn't come with persuasive words of human wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit and power, so your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of of God. You know what sustained me in the most challenging dark nights of the soul like we talked about a few weeks ago in the Elijah message? It has not been great thoughts and ideas. It's been God's power. It's been, you know, Peter has a story and he's having this interaction and Jesus is saying some crazy stuff because he tends to do that and, and everyone starts leaving and Peter says this, Lord, where am I gonna go? You've got the words of eternal life. Translation, I've known you. I've experienced your power. To be clear, you need wisdom. Turn to your neighbor and say amen. <laughs> you need wisdom. You need friends who have wisdom. That's a double amen, all right? You need good parenting tips and and good financial advice, and you need good health and fitness principles and diet and exercise. All of that is good. I'm not saying any of that is bad. You need all of those things, but do you recognize, friend, if you follow Jesus, listen to what he says, you need the power of God and his spirit in your real life exponentially more, yeah. And I got fired up this week thinking about it because when I think back on my life personally and what has sustained me through those challenging moments, without a doubt, it has been the power of God, the power of His Spirit, often through His people. We talk a lot about at greenhouse here about community. We have microchurches which serve as communities of faith where you can be encouraged and find a place to belong and and grow in your faith. And we talk about it all the time. And it's like, and in a digitally connected age, it's tempting to think, well, I got community. I got coworkers. I got, you know, my coworkers, we all go out and they got a happy hour thing and we hang out we have a lunch group and we do this or that, whatever you might do and say, well, I've got community. Here's the thing. You don't just need smart friends who have great podcasts and articles to send you when you're in a jam. You need friends who have power. I, I mean, I remember it clear as day. I was working for a charity foundation. I was coming back from one of my trips and, and I was just, I was a mess. I don't, I don't fully know what happened. I was dealing with some really heavy situations in different cultural contexts and, and it was like one after another after another and I, I was weighed down and I was discouraged. You ever just felt off, like off emotionally, off spiritually? You can't even put your finger on it so you don't want, know what to do about it. All right, just me, cool, all right. Anyways, that's how I felt. And this is before Nancy and I were married and I'm just, I'm sitting there in this hotel room. I'm working for this foundation. And in my mind, I'm just ready to throw in the towel. I'm like, man, I I was I was just, I was discouraged. Remember the Elijah series, that dark night of the soul. Like I was totally there, discouraged, confused, weighed down, I'm like, man, and my phone rings. And it's my buddy, Wes, my friend who was in my wedding and he loves Jesus, funny guy, great guy. So I pick up the phone. He says, hey, John, how you doing? And you know, sometimes you have friends you have to kind of do the like platitudes. Like, oh, praise God, brother. I'm too blessed to be stressed. And I'm like, I'm doing horrible, doing horrible. And he said, well, I just, I was just here doing my thing and, and I felt like I was supposed to call you. So what's up? And I just absolutely word vomited on the guy. Like I was like, man, I feel bad for you. Just like, Bleh. like all the things, everything I was feeling, all the frustration, all, all of the things just kind of, and, and he just listened and he listened and he listened. And I was like, man, I don't know what's going on. And this, this was so heavy and this, and I'm, I'm just thinking like, man, what's the point? Just throwing the towel. Is it really worth all this suffering? There's so much suffering in the world and God. And I'm just like having my existential crisis of faith. And he just listened like a good friend does. And we get done and he said, John, man, I, I hear all of that. Can I pray for you? I was like, yeah, sure, man, whatever. I don't even remember what he prayed, <laughs> but I remember what I felt. He, and he just starts going in. I mean, you know, one of those, when you got a friend that like, they got your back, like God forbid, if someone comes in the natural, like they will fight and cut them. Like he just did that in the spiritual realm, just like going after it. And he just prays for me and I'm there on the phone and he says amen and, and, and he gets done with his prayer and it, something changed. I, I didn't fully know what it was. Something changed. It's like if I had an elephant on my back before and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I can breathe again. I wake up the next morning, the cloud is gone. I'm back to myself and I'm like, all right, that was weird. Let's go on with life and following Jesus and I'm here today and I'm a pastor. Obviously I am not the hero of that story, Right? What happened? God showed up. How? Through a friend who had power. I thank God that I had a Wes in my life who was praying and available to Jesus to hear God say, give John a call right now because I needed it. And I'm thankful that when I had, when he found his friend in a pit, he didn't just say, man, I got a good podcast for you to listen to and podcasts are fine. He didn't just say, hey man, so sorry. I got a great article to send you. It'll be so helpful. He said, hey, let's, let's invite Jesus in right now, right now you don't just need friends and you don't just need smart friends. You need friends who have power. Like who can you call when you're in that spot? Who do you call when you feel like they're in that spot? We need friends like that. You wanna see an open heaven in your life? You wanna see an open heaven in your family? You wanna see an open heaven reality in your business, in your workplace where Jesus said to pray on earth, this way. On earth, as it is in heaven, you don't just need manpower, and you don't just need soul power, and you don't just need word power, and you don't just need intellectual power. You need spirit power in your life. Jesus and him crucified, Paul says. The power of his spirit. Here's my application. I want to make it very tangible, and I'm hoping this sticks with us and gives us a runway to launch from. Here's what I'm praying you and I would do and think about doing this week, today, when you find yourself in a situation. Do the right thing and then say why. Do the right thing, what Jesus has called us to do as his disciples, and then when you do, say why. You ever get tempted to take credit for something that you didn't do? I was uh, reflecting on this video all week long. I want you to check this out and then I'll unpack it.
1: First, I would like to just thank God for even being here. Every day, I am amazed that my experiences could encourage so many others across the country and even across the world. Encourage to pray, encourage to spread love and encouraged to keep fighting, no matter the circumstances. Sudden cardiac arrest was nothing I would have ever chosen to be a part of my story. But that's because sometimes our own visions are too small, even when we think we are seeing the bigger picture. My vision was about playing in the NFL and being the best player that I could be. But God's plan was to have a purpose greater than any game in this world. My entire life, I felt like God was using me to give others hope. And now with a new set of circumstances, I can only say he's doing what he's always done.
0: I remember watching this video and I just start crying. If you didn't know, this is a a man named Damar Hamlin. He plays for a football team. It doesn't matter what team. It's not important. It's unimportant. Buffalo something. I don't know what they are. Weirdos. I don't know. He, he had a heart attack and died on the football field. National TV, primetime game, he, he dies on the field. Medical professionals come out. I mean, it was a, a crazy scene, and, and he gets revived on the field. Chance of survival is low. He ends up surviving. He's, I think he might be playing. He's about to play football again maybe, maybe even today, it's crazy. And he gets up in front of everybody in this NFL award speech, and he's like the man. Like, everyone loves a feel-good story. Like, at that point, he's like the man. And, and, and all that's swirling around is like, man, you know, thought, thoughts and prayers for Damar. Like, and, and it was kind of the general populist, like, oh, yeah, you know, like, it's the right thing to do. But it was probably much more thoughts than prayers, if we're being honest, in our cultural tradition at this point. And, and he has this moment to get on the microphone, and, and it, it stood out to me. Because there were so many other culturally appropriate and more palatable things that he could have said. Things like, well, you know, my parents just raised a fighter. He could have said that. Would have been honoring to his mother and father. And people would have been like, oh, that was amazing. He could have said, well, you know, just Buffalo Bills, we don't give up. He could have started and said, man, I just want to thank these heroes behind me. And he eventually gets there, but he doesn't do any of that first. What does he do? I want to thank... God. And then he pauses. (laughs) Like that was the most fat You could see in the moment him feeling the weight of what he's doing. He's like, man, I know people who think I'm the man right now are about to hate me for this. And you watch him sit in that. And I was so inspired. I, I pray that he becomes or is a disciple of Jesus and follows Jesus, but I'm like, man, take, taking and gleaning from that moment, like that's what it looks like for the right thing to happen, and then you tell them why. I'm praying that, that we would live lives where we do the right thing, where we follow Jesus, where we live it out, and then when people ask, we tell them why which by the way, is as simple as if you follow Jesus being honest. Let me make it very, very practical. Somebody comes up to Andrew Wilson and they're like, Andrew, you are amazing. By the way, Andrew is amazing. Like awesome, loves Jesus, incredible. He's like top 10 greenhouse, most eligible bachelors. Ladies, you need to get on that. I don't know what you're waiting on. You know, Andrew is amazing, right, right? This is a free promo. Andrew's amazing. But you ever, have you ever gotten a compliment like that and you know or you don't know where that person's at spiritually, they're not a Jesus follower, you're not sure. And what's the temptation to say? Thank you so much. Oh man, you know. Andrew, you're so amazing. Why? Because they've probably watched the fruit of God's work in his life, that's why. Like Andrew is amazing now. I bet before Jesus, he wasn't as amazing. He might not have been amazing at all. But people, Andrew, you're so amazing. Here's what I'm proposing. And it's not, you need to stand up on your conference room and be like, no, I am not. It is the work of God. Don't be weird. But be honest. It could be something as simple as, by the way, if someone's giving you a compliment, don't slap it out of their hands. Be grateful. They're trying to give you a gift. Don't don't stomp on it. It could be as simple as, man, I'm honored that you would say that. But honestly, honestly, I've just been changed. Maybe they could care less and they're like, oh, whatever. Okay, cool. Or maybe they would say, what, what do you mean you've been changed? Boom. Now what you're doing is you're giving an opportunity for Jesus and him crucified and the power of God to come into the equation. Otherwise, here is their assessment. Andrew's amazing but I can never be amazing because I'm just such a mess and I yell at my kids and I oh, and, and they're deciding that the hero of the story are the Andrew Wilsons of the world. When Andrew knows good and well the hero of the story is who? Be honest. Do the right thing. Live the Jesus life. By the grace of God, don't be a hypocrite and don't be an idiot. And when you are an idiot, just repent and come clean. But when you're doing the right thing, when inevitably, remember he says, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in you. When someone asks, say why, say, Gabby, you're just so thoughtful, and you're clever, and you're amazing, and you're you're so caring, and Gabby is, any of you that know Gabby, it's like, she's the best, she's awesome, but I bet before Jesus, she wasn't as awesome, and I bet if you ask her the reason for her awesomeness, she's going to say, the work of God in her life, so when a coworker comes up and says, Gabby, you're so amazing, maybe you say something like, you know, I, I really appreciate that honestly I can't take the credit for it like what what if we just because here's here's the tension that we feel you're getting a compliment it feels good and you know there is a risk inherent if you go the extra step to tell people why they might rescind the compliment or even worse instead of the compliment and applause it might be replaced by criticism and judgment and who wants that but what's the value proposition on the other side of things? Maybe your light is so shining before people that they could see your good works and as a result end up glorifying your father in heaven. But how will they ever do that if they don't know that's what's happening? Are you tracking with me? The temptation is so real. And in such small ways to just, the glory starts coming our way, the approval starts coming our way, the praise starts coming our way, and we're like, oh man, and it feels good to be accepted but what a tragedy that we would choose the acceptance on earth rather than the acceptance from the one who already has accepted us and beloved us so much that he gave his son to die. And when we do that, when we do the right thing and then we tell people why, you leave an opportunity for open heaven to break out, the power of his spirit to break in so their faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I was having lunch with a guy this week and we're gonna take communion in just a moment. I was having lunch with a guy this week and, um, and he started coming around over the last couple of months and, and he, we're, you know, he was sharing some of his story and we're just walking through life and challenges and we're, we're having lunch together. And, and at some point he kind of pauses and he's like, so do you like do this with, with people like regularly? And I was like, what, well, just like have lunch and t- talk about people's challenges in their life? Like, yeah. He's like, okay, um, so like, what, what's the, what, how, how do you, what? And I was finally like, why do I do that? He's like, yes, yes, why, why do you do that? I said, man, I'm so glad you asked. I just told him my story, I said, bro, I was a mess. Like I I ran my life into the ground to the point that I hated who I had become and could not change it. My heart was hard, my heart was dead, got to a point where I was so angry and calloused inside, I couldn't even say I love you back to my own mother. I hated myself and I was trapped and stuck and I could not do anything to fix it. And then Jesus stepped in and he changed my life. By the way, this is my story. He changed my life. I said, bro, and we're we're sitting, I mean, it got weird. We're sitting here in this like public setting and I start start getting misty eyed. I'm like, bro, if I owe perfect timing for the spiritual music, (laughs) thank you. And I just looked at him, I said, bro, have you ever had someone do something in your life where you would like, I would do anything that person needed any moment at the drop of a hat? He's like, yeah. I said, that's why. I said, if there's anything, that I can do with him, for him. If there's anything he wants me to do, if there's anywhere he wants me to go, if there's anything he wants me to give, if there's like I would gladly give my life for him. He's rescued me. So it's a joy to, and I said, and the thought that out of my jacked up life and my messed up story, Jesus could step in and bring hope and life and flourishing and transformation out of me when I know who I was. I said, bro, there's nothing better than that. What purpose is great? And I just, start, I'm like preaching at this point. I'm probably restaurant. I'm like, dude, what would what, what could be better than that? He was like, oh, well, that makes sense. And we all long to be accepted. Every single one of us. We we long to belong. We long for approval. It's not wrong. It's hardwired into us by God because we were created for the approval from God and it begs a question who would willingly enter into the possibility of ridicule someone's giving you a compliment someone's saying you're incredible someone's saying you're amazing Someone, man I just love that you're the type of Christian that you just do it but you don't ever tell people about it by the way that's not a compliment and you feel it oh if I say something what are they going to think what are they going to do what are they going to know How are they gonna respond? And the only way we will ever be willing to enter into the possibility of bearing the ridicule and reproach of the world around is when we realize he already bore the ridicule and the reproach for us. This is Hebrews 13. Jesus went in. He took upon himself the sin, the shame, the all of the bad things that you and I deserved. If you follow Jesus, he took that on himself. He was made a spectacle on the cross. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was ridiculed. He was tortured. He's already done all of that because he loved us so much. And when you see that clearly, you're like, what does it matter if someone makes fun of me and thinks I'm foolish? But that the power, God might step in and their faith wouldn't rest on the wisdom of men but in the power of God do you understand when you are seen in this world as foolish, weak meek and trembling it gives God's power a chance to step in He bore the reproach and we're going to remember that right now as we take communion on your way in you should have gotten one of these communion cups if you want to grab it out now And as we think on Jesus, his goodness, his grace, his sacrifice, his love, if you didn't have a cup and you need it, you can wave your hand, we got a few extras. If you need it, just kind of put your hand up and we got you covered. Just keep it up and we'll, we'll hand it to you. But as we, as we think on, as we meditate on the goodness, the grace of God, the hero of our story, we remember, Jesus and him crucified. We remember the power of his spirit. So I wanna give us a moment here and and we're gonna pause for a moment of reflection. Maybe during this time, it would be the appropriate time to say, God, search me and know me like David did in the Psalms. Test my heart. See if there's anything off in me and lead me forward. Maybe you've been struggling with living out your faith. You say the right things, you preach the right things, but you do not live what you preach. And you sense conviction from God's spirit. Repent, say, God, I'm sorry, help me, give me grace to live it out. Maybe you do the stuff. People even see the stuff and like, oh my, and they've, they've just come to the conclusion that you're just amazing, incredible, fill in the blanks. And while you live it out, you struggle with having the courage to tell people why. Ask God for courage, ask God for grace take a moment and reflect Holy Spirit we invite you in search us, know us encourage us, challenge us call us to drop things that we've incorporated into our lives that are holding us back and dragging us down and call us to bring things in that you are trying to gift us with that we've been maybe even stiff arming away Holy Spirit would you speak now take a moment for reflection and then I'll come back and we'll take this all together in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread. Let's take the bread out together. That on the night he was betrayed at this Passover Seder, Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we remember your body was was broken. The punishment that our sins deserve, you took the ridicule and the mocking. And in return, you offered us acceptance and affirmation from heaven. In the midst of our mess, you see it all. You still love us. You came and died. If you're not a follower of Jesus and and you're here investigating God, faith, and spirituality, don't feel any pressure to partake in this. This is something that we do as part of the family of God who've decided Jesus is our Lord, our Messiah, our Savior, our Redeemer. The church followers of Jesus, let's take this together as we remember his body, which was broken. Paul goes on to say in the same way, Also, he took the cup, the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, Jesus and him crucified until he comes. Lord, right right now, remember your, your blood, which was shed. In Leviticus, it says there was no forgiveness, no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. It was an animal once a year during the day of atonement, Yom Kippur. And it was only sufficient for that moment. But you came once and for all as the high priest. You went into the Holy of Holies. You poured out your own blood because you loved us so much and you said on the cross, it is finished. And Lord, right now we speak to every situation. Lord, there's no way I could know every single situation, but Lord, you do. Every single body which needs healing, lift up your heart to him in faith. And Lord, we pray that there would be healing by the blood of Jesus, by the power of his stripes, that you would be healed and restored. Every single relationship, every single marriage in which there is fragmentation and it feels like there is no hope. We preach Jesus and him crucified the power of the gospel at work in your relationships, Lord, restore and renew and bring about redemption where there has been pain and hurt and carnage, Lord, bring redemption by your spirit. We remember your blood which was shed you loved us so much. We love you back. Let's take the cup together. why don't we stand to our feet? And if I can get our prayer partners up here to just be up and line in the front. If, if God's working on your heart this morning, if you're watching online, you can even request prayer there in Guyana. You can request prayer in the room online. You can send us a request. But if you'd like to receive some prayer this morning, if you'd like someone to talk with you, pray with you, we would love to do that. Share encouragement with you, answer any questions maybe you might have about your faith journey, spirituality, the way of Jesus. We're here because we wanna help and it's our joy to do it. Let me close this out in prayer. Jesus, you're amazing. Lord, my, my prayer for this church family that I love, Lord, is that our lives would be characterized not by the wisdom of men, but by the power of God. Lord, we want to see your kingdom moving in our lives in ways that are beyond natural explanation. Help us to live it out, to be disciples who follow your words and follow your ways, not perfectly. That's why we need you by your grace, but consistently. And then Lord, give us the courage. When people ask, when they inquire, when they scratch their heads, when they wonder, give us the courage to tell them why. Lord, I pray a blessing over your people. Would you bless them and keep them? Would you make your face shine upon them? Be gracious to them. Lift up your countenance, your face on them and give them your your shalom, shalom, your perfect peace. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.